0: hey jimmy hey angela this is books, books are, are good, good actually. actually and for the month of february we continued our reading of the dawn of everything by uh david graber and another david david, david windrow Wingrow. Wingrow. there we go
1: mm-hmm. david 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 uh-
0: David and David. Uh, So last time we stopped at chapter seven. Uh, For this month, you should have, or, you know, voluntarily read chapter seven through 12. I unfortunately failed. I only got to like chapter 11 and a half. The 11 and a half is a secret chapter um, only for people who don't finish books yet. So. (laughs) uh there's that but we still have a lot to discuss jimmy finished so you know we're not mm-hmm, both mm-hmm. so it's it's like a 50 50 um so we still I've been fail, there before whatever
1: I've, I've been a non-finisher yeah. it's okay um don't do the thing that i do where i'm like i promise i will go back and read it spoilers
0: yeah i've already I, broken I that do once
1: i go back and read it Um uh, yeah. but um let's start with how are you feeling what are the vibes?
0: Vibes for the back half of this book. Uh, chapter ten uh, almost ended me completely. It was a, it's almost a hundred mm-hmm. pages long. I wish they split it up. It was difficult to kind of like keep um, track of what they were. The point is, I know it's mostly just about how do we define states and what that means. But like after a point, I'm just like, you probably could have just split this in half. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then, I believe seven and eight were kind of continuations of like five and six so like mm-hmm. seven was more about the farming uh, and stuff like that and then eight was a i thought it was a pretty interesting chapter um, about yeah. cities and how we think of cities and things like that and just kind of what, what we consider happened. a city and yeah exactly different
1: formations of them
0: yeah and just like kind of my i always have a misconception of just like you know there's always these big cities and then they just got wrecked because of reasons and we never had big cities ever again like especially during quote-unquote biblical times and it's like well no not really um mm-hmm. you know but that's like my own in fact uh, there there are yeah. cities that
1: anthrop- uh, archaeologists and anthropologists uh, refuse to call cities even though like in, yeah. in a different place it would be a
0: city. Yeah, so <laughs> I thought that chapter was interesting. Uh, chapter 9 was about the indigenous folks and their origins. Um, uh,
1: the was... Amerindians.
0: Yeah, the Amerindians, yeah. yeah. Um super about the uh,
1: Incans and the Olmecs and uh, Teotihuacan.
0: Oh, yeah, and just, like, how they resolve conflicts mm-hmm. and stuff, which was... Uh, have games, and then I thought, oh, so there's an anime called G Gundam where everybody sent their very stereotyped uh, Gundams to go and fight to see the control of the world. And I always joked to my head, that's exactly what we need to do. So mm. once again, I am backed up by history <laughs> that that is how we resolve conflicts is with blood sport.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I. I can see that. I c- I would almost guess that whoever wrote G Gundam probably got some inspiration.
0: Yeah, probably. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then Chapter 11 was kind of trying to start weaving things back around to kind of the overall question, which... Mm-hmm based on some critiques and kind of what you mentioned jimmy uh i don't think they really answer their question and i know we'll get to that later but Mm -hmm. i kind of just have a sense like oh like chapter 11 they They're like all right we're bringing it back but felt like oh fuck this could still go on for like another 30 fucking chapters like absolutely absolutely
1: and they they address that in the book uh at, at a certain point i i think it's in chapter 11 and maybe in the conclusion but like they, and we'll, we'll get to it with the critiques that we've read, which it, it was a hard time finding critiques at all. Like, pretty much everyone who's read this book has loved this book, um, at least from the, the popular, general population. But we'll get there. But um, yeah, they, they absolutely have reviewed and considered uh, so much more evidence. Like, if they wanted to, this book could be three times its size. Easy. Um, But, uh, you know, who's got time for that? Um, One, two. Uh, One of them's dead. Kind of hard to keep writing if you're dead.
0: Yeah, unless you get a ghostwriter.
1: Ooh, he's (laughs) his own ghostwriter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: um uh, yeah but yeah it, it definitely felt like it could go longer but mm-hmm. anyway th- those are my thoughts jimmy since you finished the book and you probably have a bit more insight uh what are your thoughts hmm.
1: i i wouldn't say i have that much more insight like most so like chapter 11 and then the, is basically just pre-conclusion conclusion um so i honestly like one i love this book because david graver is my jam um i feel like he he does a really good job of being careful in this book not to make i mean they do make like definitive statements but usually it seems like the definitive statements they're making are statements like the pre-existing narrative has been disproven by the seven not uh and not so much like we are now setting a concrete like this is how prehistory functioned um except in the sense of like prehistory was kind of chaotic in the sense that like people were able to do an experiment in different forms all over the place um i really like the um three freedoms that they discussed early on in the book and bring it back up later Um, And I really like the forms of coercion that they discuss in chapter 10. Um, They make a lot of sense to me and the way they describe um, early quote unquote states um, with these um, makes a lot of sense as well versus the um, prior conception of like bands, uh, tribes, chiefdoms, kingdoms, states.
0: Yeah, I thought that was uh, pretty interesting, um, and they kind of go more into like the definition or like how they would define it. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. hmm
1: mm-hmm. Um. Yeah i I would recommend this to everyone that I know. I would recommend this to everyone that I don't know, um, unless you're a materialist anthropologist or a materialist archaeologist, in which case you're probably going to have some issues with it just because you want to have issues with it.
0: Yeah. Um. And unfortunately, I don't think we've read any materialist anthropologist books. Have we?
1: We um, have, uh, you know, we have Caliban and the witch.
0: Okay. All right. All right. So that's one, that's like a very, that's looking at one like point in time, specifically that. Hmm. All right, maybe we need to find more materialist anthropologists that do a mm-hmm. uh, further back. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, there's my cheesecake.
0: You're going to listen to the dulcet sounds of this cheesecake. Beep. Beep. Beep.
1: Okay. Uh, now I got to wait 15 minutes. Okay. Well, uh, where were we? Um, materialist anthropologists. You know, like, I think it can be useful potentially to. Read materialist anthropologists. Um, I think it could be interesting. I don't know how much a materialist perspective on... Like... I don't want to get into the critiques just yet. Because we, we still have other things to discuss. But I, I just feel like projecting a class analysis backwards into prehistory is a stretch. Yeah. Um, but, okay. So... I guess, ready for question two, definition of king states, chiefs, bans, and everything we know is probably wrong. Um, how do you feel about that?
0: So I guess this is kind of coming off of like the state chapter and just kind of, and also chapter um, part, actually, yeah, chapter 10, like kind of the very end. Uh, mm-hmm. They, I think it was like the discussion of just like, how do we define, what like overall was the finding of states, right? And then kind mm-hmm. of why did some, what like how did no one really know what states were until like how to define a state until later but like and
1: like yeah it is a very nebulous thing
0: yeah like we're still even puzzling over states like we just know that they're you know does does a state mean that they have um monopoly over violence which some would say yes uh does state have monopoly over your freedoms some would say yes so like and th- other definitions, I'm probably, I'm like, the highbrow, like, I'm just talking at my ass a little bit, but there's... It's what we do here. It's what we do. Uh, and then just like, how do we, so, that, you know, overall of states, and then kind of what's a king or like, what's a monarch? Because mm-hmm. some of these, uh, some of these different, and also like civilizations, I'm going to just say civilizations in a very broad term, but like some of these, actually, I could just say just groups. So these groups had like, quote unquote, kings, but like, they weren't really what we kind of expect from like a monarchy. Like, yeah, sure, there's like lineage, but the some will be like, no, you uh, don't get to do anything because all these rituals means you're kind of stuck in this certain like, like mode of work that you're forced to do. And then others, it's like, you don't even make laws, necessarily or yeah. uh or sometimes it's just like we're just going to give you a bunch of stuff so you can kind of just fuck off like as long as you're you know we're just going to give you a bunch of like you know our wives and daughters and like here's some other stuff but like we're like but you're just over here in some city And uh, we talked about that where like some places were like yeah the city of the king or whatever as long as you don't go there he's not gonna like mess with you so people just kind of yeah. live elsewhere
1: his power only existed so far as he could reach, basically. Like, if if you were not within, like, a quarter mile of him, his rule had no impact on you, because he didn't have an administrative state, usually, Um, and even if an administrative state for a king existed, like, for example, in Egypt, um, usually the administrative state was focused on the spiritual or right. um, the keeping of like arcane knowledge, as we saw with uh, the Humtar uh, de Chavid society uh, of the, I think it was the Olmecs, not remembering it entirely, but definitely, definitely Amerindians. Um, yeah, it, it's really interesting to consider like, yeah, they had like people had kings at various points in time but like the, the the concept of a king that we have now like um the i think the only thing that they share is that like kings are are a manifestation of divine right and divine will um but it, it's only been in like functionally the modern period that uh kings have the the administrative state necessary uh, to exert their power beyond their throwing room, right? Um. So yeah, chapter ten is about states, um, bands, and chiefs. It, it's discussed there as well because so what chapter ten really is doing is is trying to redefine how states. Um, how the like classifications for states rather than and classifications for societies rather than being like bands, tribes, chiefs, chiefdoms, kingdoms, then states. Um, they're looking at three uh forms of coercive power, uh, those being the use of violence, and the violence could be like, oh, we have like a clown police force as we discussed last time. Um, but only during a certain season, or it could be um, that there is no police force, but uh, when I die, um, I need a couple hundred of you to be ritualistically sacrificed. Um, Or it could be like, well, I can order your execution so long as I can physically catch you and hold you to have you executed. Right. Um, And then there's uh, as we've mentioned a bunch, the bureaucratic state um, or bureaucracy um, being another form of power that uh, early states or or stage one states, um, as they describe them, there's like stage one, stage two, stage three, stage one being a a group that only uh, exercises or uses one form of uh, coercive power. Stage two being one that uses a combination of two, and then stage three being one that uses a combination of all three. And our modern states use all three. Um, and then the third being um, charisma. Um, so, uh, in particular, with respect to like having charismatic politics. So, um, early like hill groups in Mesopotamia when, like, cities were forming, um, and had, like, a bureaucratic, uh, uh, aspect to their state, but didn't have, say, charismatic politics and didn't have, um, a, um, the right to violence, um, in the hills outside of the city, there were, like, you could almost, like, imagine, like, Greek kingdoms in that, like, it was entirely like you follow your charismatic king, and like they're they're like a great hero, and they put on feasts and like they they have like wrestling events and whatnot. And it's just a party all the time, and you only follow them because it's a party all the time. Um, and charismatic politics also and emerges like the sort of politics that we imagine or we experience now, where it's like, uh, oh, we're going to have like debates, and we're going to have like, uh, I'm going to put out lots of commercials about like how I'm the person to choose, and this, that, and the other. Um, so it would be really cool to see um, back in 2016, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, wrestle all of the other um, uh, uh, primary candidates in, in a death match. <laughs> Um, rage in a cage. Oh, um,
0: yeah,
1: that that would have been the way to choose the Democratic frontrunner, for sure. Um, not no problematic aspects to that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really interesting way of reimagining what states can be, rather than looking for like what we imagine current. And not to say that like the the nice thing about the way that they have formulated the evolution of of states, maybe evolution is, is a, the wrong term there, because it's not necessarily implied that you immediately have to go from being a state with one of these to following at a state with two of these or a state with three of these. Like, you could have a, a state with two of these, and then the state falls apart, and then another state arises that only has one of these. Like, it's... Or two different ones, or a different combination of two. You can have two different ones because there's only three. Anyway, um, but these these terms go a very far way to um, removing a lot of the implicit bias that uh, Western anthropologists have put into the existing terms for how we discuss states and non-state entities. And it would be really good if if these things were picked up by the populace and uh, used by the populace, because it would also mean that we would be discussing coercive aspects of the state um, and discussing whether they are, are necessary.
0: Right. Um, I think one thing that's kind of missing from the forms of coercion is mm-hmm. I think uh and it kind of dovetails with knowledge, but I think economic coercion, I think should be mm-hmm. in this um, because granted they don't talk about it. And I, I think because we don't, this is only doing from an anthropolog- anthropological and not like an economic uh, way we do stuff. And perhaps if I remember most of 5,000 years of debt, it, we probably could like thread that needle. But like, yeah. I think, you know, saying hey you need to pay taxes or you need to pay some form some way and maybe it's not you know mm-hmm. uh coinage or whatever it might be like you need to give us some of the you know the, yeah. your share of your farm or yeah. share of something else i think that in a way you need to is... go and find 500
1: acorns and turn them in
0: yeah exactly like i feel like that's also a level something that's like kind of missed here i Just
1: i guess in in like a specific like them pointing that out um but i would i would argue that they do touch on it in a way mm-hmm. um i think it's in chapter 11 it might be in the conclusion but they do discuss how um in the early mesopotamian cities before they became like what we consider like classical like ancient like states um the 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 temples would all uh, would like take in like widows and orphans and the sick and whatnot and feed them and care for them they would give them like work to do but it wasn't like you coercively like have to do this work it's like we need help in keeping the temple going to feeding
0: right um
1: And over, so the three freedoms that they discuss earlier in the book uh, come up here in that uh, one of them is the freedom to leave, Um, and then freedom to leave, freedom to, uh, what were the other two? Freedom to leave, freedom to
0: Uh, leave. That was like freedom of choice, or free. so freedom to leave, um, oh boy that one of them was twice. I'm
1: looking for it. um, It's also time for me to tend to that cheesecake again. Okay. Yeah, so it is in the conclusion. Um, Okay. Yeah. So... We also know that needy individuals taken into such temple institutions were supplied with regular rations and put to work on the temple's lands and in its workshops. The very first factories, or at least the very first kind that we are aware of in history, were charitable institutions of this kind, where temple bureaucrats would supply women with wool to spin and weave, supervise the disposal of the product, much of it traded with upland groups in exchange for wood, stone, and metal, unavailable in the river Valleys, and provide them with carefully apportioned rations. All of this was already true long before the appearance of kings. As persons dedicated to the gods, these women must originally have had a certain dignity, even a sacred status, but already by the time of the first written documents, the situation seems to have grown more complicated. By then, some of those working in Sumerian temples were also war captives or even slaves. Okay, yeah, so this is also ties into the discussion that they had a couple of pages earlier in the conclusion about um, the the space that is shared with kings and slaves in the sense that they are they exist outside of normal family and like uh in uh group relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: a king is a representative of the god of uh, the gods, it, it should have no ties to earth. And a slave uh, also has no ties to earth in the sense that they have they they cannot like they can't leave, they can't to build relationships, etc., or even slaves who were similarly bereft of family support. Over time, and perhaps as a result, the status of widows and orphans also appeared to have been downgraded until the temple institutions came to resemble something more like a Victorian poorhouse. How, might we ask, did the degradation of women working in the temple factories affect the status of women more generally? If nothing else, it must have made the prospect of fleeing an abusive domestic arrangement far more daunting. Loss of the first freedom of movement increasingly meant the loss of the second. Loss of the second meant effacement of the third. So, once again, well, tell me what the freedoms were.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, I Control F freedom. Uh, I, I, one sec. Okay. Um. Another 15 minutes, and i got to do something else to that cheesecake.
0: Okay. This
1: this poor cheesecake. is getting all sorts of attention for me that it doesn't want. It just wants to live in its hot steam bath. Um did I download the dawn of everything ever? No, I did not. Okay. Maybe it's on the Wikipedia page for the Dawn of Everything. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I'll have freedom it does not lay out what the three freedoms are but it does talk about schismogenesis Um, uh, so it's it's freedom of movement freedom of something and then freedom of something else Fuck! why can't i not remember this
0: this is why you take notes no notes no masters no notes no
1: masters uh maybe it's in chapter four would help if they just had like a bulleted things somewhere that was like, these are our three freedoms. I'm not seeing that shit. Poverty Point, Japanese Archipelago, Forders. Uh, <laughs> murdering, murdering this podcast. Mmm. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Did you find it? Uh,
1: maybe in a New York Times uh, thing. Mmm.
0: I love your bird noises in the background.
1: Yeah, they're great. Uh, And then the end of the article, where's freedom? Okay, freedom is there. Freedom is there. (sighs) The dawn of everything sees uh, pervasive evidence for large, complex societies that thrived without the existence of the state, and defines freedom chiefly as freedom to disobey. Um, There's a bit more. Three primordial freedoms, the dawn of everything. The freedom to move the freedom to disobey, the freedom to create or transform social relationships there we go that's there. um so they they argue that um it is only in um a situation where you lose the first the freedom to move and i cannot remember what started us on this because it became such a train wreck of a Uh, a surge. My apologies. I'm so sorry. Um, do you remember?
0: Uh, we were talking about uh, just the different curse of powers and then how that kind of leads into freedom Mm. of Mm. the different points of freedom. Um, Mm. that's pretty much it. Okay,
1: well, the three freedoms are the freedom to move, freedom to disobey, and the freedom to create or transform social relationships. Um, I feel like there was something that we were discussing about that, though, that that made me want to know what the freedoms were. And I can't can't remember. It's ruined. I'm sorry. It's ruined.
0: <laughs> it's OK. We'll we'll get through this together.
1: OK. Um, OK. I guess next question. Oh, we already yes. covered question five forms of we... coercion. Yeah, we did. Oh, look at that. We're being efficient in our inefficiency, in my inefficiency. (laughs) Um, So what do you think? Did they answer the question?
0: So as a person who did not finish the book, uh, that's my title. uh, I kind of don't think they did exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what this book does well is it kind of gets you to think about how we've been thinking of civilizations or different groups of people in the past or prehistory or anthropology a bit differently than like than kind of just the narrative that we've been told um Mm. but i don't think and i think we kind of mentioned this like last time like we're probably they're probably not going to answer this question just the way that things were kind of going it's like i don't know if we're gonna ever get there um and maybe if david graber was still alive he could have a part two of the dawn Mm. of everything to see if he could have like answer that question um the noon of everything the noon of everything yes um so i think they don't but i think it's a question that we should keep thinking about when especially when people are like oh but we've always been this way um that's mm-hmm. why we need capitalism or whatever which is <laughs> like well not no so like we can try to get unstuck and it also didn't really answer the how do we get stuck question i don't feel like either it, it's it
1: doesn't um it doesn't yeah i so i would i agree um i think what this book is doing is like a bait and switch in like they're being like we're we're gonna tell you what the, the, the the we're gonna try and find the source of inequality and what they lay out instead is that like um there's there's no obvious source because i mean obviously everything that has ever happened ever is not written down somewhere in some database for us to search to like make an algorithm to be like okay find the the source of inequality yeah um and they they put forth an argument that like inequality in some shape or form has always existed which, which kind of rings true to me from something that I've heard Zizek say in the past. Um, so Zizek's thing is like, imagine you're in a classless, stateless communist society. Your needs are met, you engage in labor as you desire, um, and you're allowed to have whatever uh, interpersonal relationships and, and freedom of that you want. There will still be inequality. Right. You will not be able to play uh, sports or video games like other people because they are literally different people. They have different bodies. They have different minds. Um, You will still feel jealousy. You will still feel inadequacy. Like, there will still be fundamental forms of inequality just in between individuals. And that's probably not what most people think of when they think of inequality. Um, They probably think like monetary or or like power imbalances. Um, But I think what they were going for in this book was showing like there are methods that a lot of prior um, forms of existence had for dealing with inequality that we no longer can employ because we cannot necessarily move on a whim to to get ourselves away from a form of coercion um we cannot disobey because of the the threats of violence or if we disobey we we need to be disobeying in a way such that we are not uh caught right um and as such we any struggle to create or transform our social relationships is one that is inexorably against the state and has to physically and probably violently at some point uh, act against the state because we do not have the first chip. Um And I think that bait and switch is really good because um, a lot of people probably from like Just a a, not not an anthropologist, not an archaeologist. Reader, probably coming into this like, I read Harari and I read Jared Diamond and I read Pinker, and this this new book purports to like explain everything, Um, and like destroying those assumptions and destroying like the pre-existing narrative, and creating like a framework for viewing. Both history and our current state—not um, to say that like the Marxist framework also doesn't have merit, it obviously does—but right. um, I think this is a good addition, um, and I I I know for a fact in my heart that both our uh, both authors knew like from the get go they would not be able to answer this question, um, and. Yeah, so I, I think it was on purpose. Um, and I think the book does what it set out to do, which break down pre existing narratives.
0: Yeah, I think it does that very well, but to like I know and one of the critiques which we'll get to says so like, oh, we didn't they didn't answer the question about like how do we get to be unequal. Or more importantly, how do we get stuck? Like they said, like we're not gonna do kind of do that about equality, mm-hmm. um, but more about how do we get stuck in this kind of spot? And I think that is interesting uh, that it's kind of yeah, it's kind of like that. So yeah,
1: yeah. I I just think that like unless you feed all of like current human knowledge into a supercomputer and then make sure you haven't set up like a, a fucked up like ai or whatever yeah uh, that's uh, that I- no one person no two individuals are going to be able to synthesize all of the existing human knowledge such in, in such a way to be like this is how we got stuck um I think that the the three freedoms that they outline do a really good job of explaining like what we used to have that prevented us from getting stuck. And I think it's on us to examine those and examine like more modern history, probably like the advent of capitalism onward, maybe a couple hundred years, maybe a century before that with these three in mind to start to answer that question yeah um i have to do more cheesecake things okay this one's quick i mean they're all quick okay um yeah i just don't think it would be possible for for any individual or group of individuals to definitively be like yeah, it was, like, 13, 12, this guy did this one thing, and then, fuck, we were stuck forever. Yeah. Um, And I, I think that anyone who expects that from anyone is... Either does not have a, even a basic understanding of the, the sheer scope of experimentation and, like, history. Yeah. Or is unreasonable.
0: Yeah. I think... um. Yeah, I think that it's pretty uh, it's pretty uh, interesting how they kind of how that works out. So, yeah, I think they I think they kind of covered most of the most of the stuff that they want to cover. But as I we kind of already mentioned, we we should have we wish it was like more. Right. Like That's for sure. And, you know, unfortunately, there's no like part two of this book. I don't know. Maybe David Wynn will will do yeah. it or something yeah. like that.
1: Um, keep digging into the crates like they do with uh, Michael Jackson and uh, uh, Tupac. Exactly. Yeah. Get a hologram of David Craver up on stage. Oh God. <laughs>
0: oh no. Um.
1: So let's talk about uh, haters.
0: All right. Let's talk about some haters.
1: Yeah. Um. So Wikipedia does list other haters, other than the ones that I was able to find, but I haven't reviewed any of their critiques, um, because it's not, it's not laid out as like, in particular in the Wikipedia reception section, it's not like, these are the positive reviews, and these are the negative reviews. Um, and it, it seems like just skimming over the critiques that are listed on Wikipedia from various, um, other authors, other researchers, other anthropologists, other archaeologists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they have mixed things to say. Usually, like this was a good read, and they they have a lot of good information in here, but they didn't consider X, Y, or Z. And um, I mean that once again goes to like it's a five hundred and twenty-five page book. Yep. It's it's not like a, a six thousand page. Thing it's not a three thousand page, it's not a fifteen hundred page thing. Like they they can't do it all. Like y- y'all can y'all can take what they've already written and then like write additional books like or additional considerations like with the framework that they've set out. If you want to do that, but yeah, um, the other critiques you want to discuss that? Did you you read yeah. both of them?
0: Yeah, I read the first one because I was a bit short, and then the second oh, yeah. one's a bit longer. Uh, yes, so the is. first one, Chris Knight, he kind of mentioned he ha- he has his like own like spot. Uh, most of his research has been administration, yeah, administration and uh, early peoples, and kind of you know uh, kind of I guess more of a feminist theory about that. And his critique was mostly they didn't go far enough back. Like they didn't start in Africa, and then two, they didn't talk about um, you know, female oppression a whole lot. Um, which I think was like sure, but once again, it's I guess the problem of having your book called The Dawn of Everything is that people probably expect you to cover everything. Yeah. and that probably it's a good title, but like people will take it literally. so yes. <laughs> that's, instead of. Being like-
1: the dawn of the, the, the dawn of the loss of freedoms and the forms of early statehood.
0: Yeah. Like, so like
1: yeah. Not, not taking into consideration X, Y, and Z, only looking at a particular time, frame frame uh, of time, even though, like, they definitely, like, discussed things going further back than, like, 40,000 years. But just yeah. didn't, with a fine-tooth comb, go every go over every single instance. And, like, and they even mention that. Like, as, as I said earlier, like, in the conclusion, they're like, we, we've reviewed a ton of stuff. And, like, we could have had a book three times as long. But, oh, but like, it's already, we spent two months reading this. I barely finished. I finished last night um, and that was like forcing myself to read 30 minutes every night. And I say forcing listeners like the book's really enjoyable. It's a really good read. Um, Elden Ring is still uh, calling to me with its siren song every moment, every second of my life. Um, So that in that sense, I was forcing myself not to play Elden Ring and to read this fantastic book. Like if this was fifteen hundred pages, like we would be reading this for another four months. Yeah, we would. It would probably be way less coherent in what it is trying to say, or it would constantly be reiterating. Like these are the freedoms. The, we're going to view this stuff through this lens. We're we're not taking these things into consideration because we feel X, Y and Z like it it would be I think it would be unreadable.
0: yes, it would be
1: yeah, they're basically asking for can can you just like let us download your minds and like consider those as a book like it, yeah, it's ridiculous.
0: yeah, it's uh it's a little it's a little much and then uh, the other critique was mainly just, they didn't like the framing i would say i'm trying to be like really mm-hmm. generous here um yes they didn't like the framing of the book because they felt like they didn't address the inequalities um they also both these critiques had a very like ah anarchists. you talk about state though curious yeah. type of yeah. like thing which i thought was like kind of weird um just you know because i don't think really in the book they're saying ah yes we should have a state it was more of like, oh, the way that we consider state and like how we think of it is still a very puzzling type of like concept that we still get wrong or like
1: mm-hmm.
0: well not really wrong, but like our We're projecting uh,
1: like modern concepts of the state y- back.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's just kind of like that's just really odd, you know. Um so it's uh it's yeah, it's not correct. Uh or mm-hmm. like it's you know it's a not bit a fair odd. critique. Yeah. So uh, but yeah so mainly the second one's just like all right we don't they don't address like inequalities between you know the races and genders and stuff like that and you know this book is good but we need something that kind of tells more about the looming threat of like climate change which i'm like okay i guess they wanted something that talks more about like how we could learn from our past to like be better and then that will salt like that will help us with our current like you know trying to prevent our own destruction um which is like okay mm-hmm. but like it's- once again I, I don't think this like i feel like the title like kind of uh people take it too literally they're like all right we're gonna this is the book that will solve that will give everything and it's just like no it's like one piece of a puzzle mm-hmm. or a, a thought process that we should probably you know can think of when we're thinking of how we should organize our society and, you know, other aspects of our, our lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And also that critique is really weird for bringing up climate change. Cause like climate change functionally is, is, it's only a modern problem. Like, yes, the climate changed in the past, but it was not due to human causes. Like, humans were existing in a climate humans were interacting with the climate humans were not pumping out like trillions of pounds of of co2 like every year year after year for at least a century and a half like they, there's as much as like from an organizational perspective of like how to organize societies and what sort of freedoms we should consider to be paramount, um, instead of being like freedoms from, should we have freedoms to, um, like I, I do not think that there's anything that we can learn from prehistory that is going to tell us how we solve climate change. Right. Like we have, uh, other than we have to dismantle capitalism. Yeah. So like, and there's nothing in prehistory really on how specifically what steps need to be taken to dismantle capitalism because they, they didn't have capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's a fair question. I also don't think that the the second critiques like consideration of like a materialist perspective on prehistory is fair or even right either, as we discussed pre-show. Like if if they're and both both the researchers or researchers that wrote these reviews appear to be Marxists, um, which is fine. Um I love Marxists, they're great. But you cannot like put like a, a class analysis on a society did not have like or like societies that did not have like the the concept of private property uh, or only had like yeah it i i just do not see how it works in a pre-capitalist framework like yeah which like i mean there there are like parallels between like forms of feudalism and and like a class structure. Um but it's it's it is just murkier. It is it is much harder to do even on things that like we have written record of and multiple sources of written record of. I don't know how you can possibly begin to do that on societies that you are um looking at like the barest of written records and only fragments of physical records. like it.
0: Yeah, it is really odd to me that there's kind of yeah, it, there's only so much you can go off of and uh, things we have to kind of infer. So like, unfortunately, there's a guess and I think just to acknowledge that there's a guess, like there's there's us guessing and maybe not take that as like objective fact. Uh, I
1: have to mess with these guys again.
0: More messing with the
1: cheesecake. I, I hope Grace made so listeners my partner grace makes this amazing cake it's a cheesecake on top of a carrot cake. Um, And I saw the carrot cake earlier, I do not know where it is now um it may be under the cheesecake, but I don't know because I haven't disassembled the thing that holds the cheesecake together. Because that seems like a foolish thing to do. So, maybe there's a carrot cake underneath it. Maybe there isn't. You'll never
0: know. That is the uh, cheesecake half hour or corner. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Angela, you'll know later.
0: Alright, cool. I will yeah. I will be the one to know. Yes. Um.
1: Do we have any other thoughts on uh, critiques? or criticisms of the
0: dawn of everything uh i don't really have anything else um -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i think overall the book was pretty okay i think it just so i noticed this with like i think five thousand years of debt like towards the end i'm just like this is a lot and i wish it could be (laughs) cut up a bit more Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah it's yeah it is a lot um I think they still do a good job of it, but it is a lot. Um especially chapter 10. Like I I understand that like they were trying to get one solid thought out. Um not to say they didn't have other solid thoughts, but like to like be like okay, states. We're dealing with states in this chapter and we're going to go until we're done dealing with states and we've said everything that we need to about the states. But Um, even though they do break their chapters up with, like, subheadings, which is pretty nice for, like, keeping track of, like, where you are and giving yourself, like, break points, Um, it's... it is still a 90-page chapter Yeah. um, on, like... and it's not a 90-page, like, fictional narrative. It's 90 pages of, like, discussing history and anthropology and, like political and philosophical uh, philosophical ideas like it's not as hard as zizek yes But it's not easy i wonder how long zizek's going to be our high water mark
0: uh until we probably read some other dead german philosopher Mm.
1: uh five letters starts with an h (laughs) oh
0: god yeah that might be one day one one six month period, we'll just go all in. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: I you know I think we can probably do without. Oh dang! Uh, yeah. Um, but um, otherwise, you enjoyed it?
0: Yeah, I thought overall was good.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Um, it maybe it maybe it's the fact that it's like the second Graeber book that we read. But like the first one, I was like, oh my God, like this guy's blowing my mind. And this one, I was like, yeah, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's really
1: interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting way to like, uh, I didn't know that. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, uh, maybe if this was my first Graeber book, I'd be like, oh my God. Uh, But it's just, it's, that's his thing. It's like, let me take this, like. Concept that you are taking for granted, and be like, "Well, actually, you're wrong," and so is all <laughs> the rest of society. Um, yeah. And once you know that, the genie's a little bit out of the bottle. Like you're like, I I know what yep. I know what I'm in for here. Like, give me the good stuff. I'm I'm down. I'm here for the ride. But like, this isn't going to be the first time I'm dropping acid with Ken Kesey anymore. <laughs> Wow, you know, I think this might be a short episode.
0: Yeah, it might be. Uh, so next time we're gonna read another short, a short book. I I say another short book. It's like no, we read a, a page book. We're gonna read a short book by our maybe our new best friend. <laughs> maybe. Uh, Vladimir Lenin. Uh, so we're gonna read State and Revolution. Uh, we'll see how that. Uh, we'll read through that, and then we'll do some nice comparison with
1: a uh,
0: shit what's her name oh oh um uh, yeah we read her two months ago <laughs> yeah we literally read her two months ago sad um okay uh, Rose,
1: Rosa Rose Lux
0: yeah so we'll we'll do some uh we'll do some comparisons because she definitely mentions him in her book of reformer revolution mm-hmm. so we'll see how that kind of holds up and get more of a uh, perspective from that
1: I think it'll also be really interesting now that we've read *The Dawn of Everything* to carry what they put forward in Lenin's reading of the state.
0: Yes. Yeah. For sure.
1: Um. Yeah. I'm also trying to figure out how long it is.
0: Oh, it's. I think it's like a hundred pages. It's like kind of uh, bundled up with those other writings. It's like one mm-hmm. of those situations. Mm-hmm. Before I'm super fucking wrong, and it's like, oh no. It's a bajillion pages. I'm like, oh fuck. Um, okay, source collector
1: works, volume twenty-five, pages three eighty-one through four ninety-two. So it is a hundred and eleven pages.
0: Okay. Not
1: bad. I'll take it. Only right. six chapters. So a hundred and eleven pages <laughs> over six chapters, we're looking at some twenty page chapters. Yeah. That is refreshing.
0: Yeah, we're we're gonna get to the 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 people who were like all right y'all probably don't super know how to read you probably don't have a lot of fucking time to read this shit mm-hmm. bam we're gonna give you some some shit in like 100 pages yeah. or you know separate pamphlets that you can read over you know several publishing zines or whatever yeah i know they're not called zines but just work with them. I, they, they were zines
1: <laughs> this is my marxist fan zine pravda
0: <laughs> oh my god uh please uh only send in ships of angle and uh marks if you do the other shipping you're fucking banned sorry uh that is that is some deep cut uh joke i'll you online joke <laughs> oh my god
1: yeah uh what if what if reimagining pravda in the modern age it you, you're absolutely right it does have like a two-page spread of all of your the fan like artwork. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Sonic the hedgehog is in there somewhere.
0: Somehow he's in there. He's, he's just like, ah. Somehow in there.
1: Google real quick. Marxist Sonic. <laughs> and then click on images. Oh boy. Oh yeah. It's oh yeah. Commi- uh, communist tales. Um uh, and that's that's it. Everything else is not specific enough. But here's a picture of communist tales.
0: Alright, we're going to include this in the show notes so everyone can also be cursed. What? That's it? That's it.
1: it. Yeah, that's the best I could find.
0: That's that's so bad. Alright, uh, cool. So we're reading some some Vladimir Linen. Uh oh never
1: mind never mind instead of marxist sonic i should have searched communist sonic yeah okay here we go uh there's also a bunch of other weird shit on this page
0: i was about to say because i was like how did you not like how is not the weird thing pop up first come on dog (laughs) so this
1: Uh, okay and one more
0: there we go. Ah, of course, the OC. Okay. There we go. That's what I want to see.
1: I go fast for motherland.
0: There you go. <laughs>
1: Amazing.
0: All right. Uh, so next time we're going to talk about uh, Communist Sonic and how his feelings on our state and revolution. And remember, uh, books, books are, are good. good. Actually. Actually.